Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. How do you disciple teens on biblical sexuality? I'm really excited to welcome my good friend, Dr. Christopher Yuan, to the Impact 360 podcast today to talk about this important topic and a brand new resource that he has for families. But before I get into that, uh, Dr. Christopher Yuan's speaking ministry on faith and sexuality has reached five continents. He has co-authored with his mother their memoir, Out of a Far Country, which has sold over 130,000 copies and is now in eight languages. That's amazing to hear. Dr. Yuan's second book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, was named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine. And Christopher has just produced The Holy Sexuality Project, a first-of-its-kind video series to help parents and grandparents to empower their teens to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality. And that's what we get to talk about today. Christopher, it's great to see you. Welcome back to Impact 360 podcast. And uh, you get to teach our students, our fellows. So you're a good friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome, Jonathan. It's always uh, a, a, a pleasure for me. To, I, I should be saying my pleasure, uh, <laughs> Jonathan, but uh, it, it really is always a blessing to be able to serve together. Absolutely. Well, I've been looking forward to this. I know for several years now, I know you've kind of been dreaming this up, thinking about ideas around this project in terms of how to make this more accessible. Um, so so let's start off on, on we'll, we'll talk about all the issues and topics and questions and practical and theological and all that good stuff in just a minute. But why, why the Holy Sexuality Project? And really, what does this make? What is, what's this, what's unique about this that you've made and, and, and why you wanted to release this and create it now? Yeah, you know, uh, after I wrote my book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, um, I, I found that it's so needed because there was a gap between what the Bible says and condemns God's no, very important. And then we jumped to practical theology, and there was not a lot of what, what, what I see is super, super important and essential and necessary is to develop a theology, looking at systematic theology, biblical theology, and developing a theology of sexuality, not just God's no, but God's yes. So I wrote that book, but it's it's deep. It's, you know, 200 some pages of 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 this of content for adults, young adults, college students. Um, and and even, you know, in fact, 360, those students read that as well. They're they're after high school. So they're they're thinking deeply and critically, which is very, very good and necessary. But I thought, man, we need something for teens. And so I wanted to develop a video series uh because vi- High school students, teen, you know, preteens, teenagers, they're consuming videos. So that's what we wanted to do. But I realized that what I saw missing, some of the other resources out there, some of the older ones kind of talking on abstinence, good. But again, that's just God's no, not God's yes. Mm. You know, like I said, we can't build a Christian life just on God's no. Um, but then some of the newer stuff, we're just getting to the, the 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 practical theology without developing a theology of sexuality. And some of that practical theology, when you try to rush to do right, do good without thinking right, you could end up doing wrong. And so that's my fear with some of those approaches that is just, quote unquote, just love, which makes love an end in itself. So I wanted to give this robust theology of sexuality and create this, but not just another program. Because a lot of times, Jonathan, what these resources on sexuality are is they're for youth groups, they're for the Christian school classroom. Not necessarily a bad thing, but that then gives the impression that parents are off the hook. 
the primary disciples on sexuality must be parents. A youth pastor does not replace the parent. A Christian teacher does not replace the parent. They should talk about biblical sexuality once or twice a year. Good. Is that enough? Parents, you know that that is not enough when our when our kids, teenagers, preteens, grade school, kindergarten, they're being inundated on a daily, I mean, sometimes multiple times during out, uh, throughout the day. So it has to be not so much in the youth group room or in the classroom, but in the living room, in the family room, in the dining room. So the Holy Sexuality Project is one of the first, I think it's the first of its kind that's specifically for home discipleship. It's, we're not encouraging churches to show it to youth group. Don't just call up your youth pastor and say, show this to your youth pastor. No, call your senior pastor and say, we need a revolution in our church that we need to get the parents together. We need to kick him in the butt and say, you're not doing your job. The world is doing your job. Let's take it back from the world. Let's get parents and, and grandparents together, right? It's all hands on deck right now. Get them together, go through this video series. They feel confident. And then they go home and do the job that God has ordained them to do. I, I just, I'm, I have to like control myself because I'm so excited about this because I really feel like this is like the way to finally turn the tide. A program is not the solution. That's just a band-aid on this breaking dam we need all hands on deck, including parents and grandparents, and even people who don't have kids. We need mm -hmm. spiritual parents and spiritual grandparents to help these kids to have a biblical understanding of sexuality. Yeah, and I love it. And I'm so glad you have released it and developed it. It's it's creative. It's aesthetically really well done, excellent, accessible. It's going to be a great tool. But I, I want to highlight and underscore a couple of things that you said, which I think are so vital. Um Sexuality and gender is everywhere in our culture, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all over Disney Plus. It's in the new Paw Patrol <laughs> that's going to be coming out. It's on Blue's Clues. Like just watching a show on Netflix the other night. And of course, they introduced the token lesbian couple now in the into the teen thing that's dating just like the guy and the girl now. Like that's just normal. And therefore it's everywhere. Yeah. And so if we're not talking about this in the church. And if we're not talking about it at home, then our kids are just going to fill in the categories and, and just basically absorb them, mm -hmm. which is why um, I'm so excited about this resource. And I know this is your heart in it because a lot of times parents just feel overwhelmed. Like, where do I start? Mm -hmm. It's awkward as it is. I never had to navigate this kind of stuff when I was growing up. I mean, everybody's mm -hmm. always had, you know, sexuality issues if you got to navigate, but just the, I think the visibility and the and and the level of volume on it is so high right mm -hmm. now culturally that we can't not see it. Not that we ever could, but not we can't not see it as part of our discipleship to the Lord Jesus. And so that's, that's why right. I'm really glad that you you you've made this resource. All right, so let's. So I'm going to share more about that and and, and how people can get um, learn about it and buy it and and start using it in homes in a little bit. But let's start um, at the beginning, just. Just pretend you you were just hanging out. Mom and dad came up and they're like, okay, Christopher, where do I start? Like, like what's the first topic or question that you think, hey, what's the first thing that I need to like, how do I frame it? Where do I start? How do I enter into this? So so let's let's just start at the beginning. You know, I I think um, you know, where we really need to begin is identity. That is the core thing that I believe um, Christians, we miss. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. As a matter of fact, even some of the resources out there, you know, that even say they're Christian, um, miss this one. I, to be honest, Jonathan, I think this is the litmus test for today. Not are you being loving or being compassionate? Because he, here's the issue. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, when, um, you know, I came to Christ 20 years ago, and I feel like I'm still a new Christian because I'm 52. Uh, so I wasn't raised in the church um, as, you know, as, as, as I assume many of the listeners are raised in the church. 10, 20 years ago, this is the problem of the church when it comes to sexuality. We were more truth at the expense of grace. So what was the solution? We needed to be reminded we need to be full of grace, not just full of truth, not let that go. But here's the issue now that the pendulum, as we are just human sinners, our sin nature, we're either on either side of the pendulum, uh, the, the extreme, and that's incorrect. So the answer, or what what, um, what I see now happening in the church is we are no longer truth to the expense of grace because we've kind of just responded and reacted to that. Right now, what I see is we are grace at the expense of truth. We are almost going overboard with trying to be just, see, and you mentioned that, I mentioned at the beginning, just love. And maybe people are thinking, oh, what's wrong with that? Love isn't the issue, just is. We do not just love. Love does not save. God does. That's mm -hmm. so important. People even defend just love and they say, well, God is love. Yes, God is love, but love is not God. When we just love, we make love an end in itself. Love is necessarily, but it is a means to an end, and that end is Christ. So if it is just be nicer, these people are hurt, or they're marginalized, etc. Honestly, we're all hurt. We're all marginalized in a sense. They are not a special marginalized group. They are sinners like everyone else. We need to use the right framework, not a framework of oppression and uh, you know marginalization. That's a secular, unbiblical, I would even say heathen and even <laughs> grounded in Satan that it's his foolish plan for us to view the world through the lens of marginalization and oppression because that gives no hope. Only Jesus does. We need to see the lens through the biblical lens that we're sinners and fallen. So- Back to the point, we need to be full of grace and full of truth, and we need to begin not just with just love, we need to begin with the truth, full of grace, full of truth, and we can't go to step two without addressing who we are, especially as that impacts sexuality and gender, because here's what the world is saying. Here's what all our kids are saying. They are saying, this is who a person is. Hmm. I am gay, someone will say, I don't say that. I used to say that. Or I am trans even. I am binary. That M is not talking about this is what I feel, what I attracted. This is where kind of some other approaches have got it wrong, where they view, oh, I just use this term just to talk about my attractions. That's nice you do that, but no one in the world else does that. That term gay, straight, that, that whole alphabet soup of the LGBT, et cetera, what that is referring to is not one's experience, not one's thoughts, but it's talking about their whole personhood essence. So we have to start there. I spent a whole two lessons focusing mm -hmm. on the false identity and their true identity. And that is really, really key. Yeah, no, that's huge. Because I think I think identity is the question for this generation. Uh, right. We do a lot with Gen Z. We do a lot. I mean, that's the students we have from high school, summer camps through fellows, three initiative, residency, all that. 
and identity really, what does it mean to be human? Who gets to decide that? Is there such a thing as human nature? Now, I know you go into a lot more detail um, and it's super accessible and it's illustrated well, but talk about one or two of the key ideas just in the history of how we got here. Maybe a couple of the two names that maybe a, a mom or dad, grandparent needs to know about where some of these ideas came to us from uh, that that just now have really taken root. They don't have those same names anymore. They just show up as ideas and slogans and 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 uh, curricula that show yes. up at school. But talk a little bit about um, kind of how we got here to this identity crisis that we're we're really living through right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the reason, and I actually was just speaking to church this past weekend. They're like, how do we get where we are today? And I was like, if you draw the lines, it's like connect the dots is not anything that just poof came up, you know, today that we could draw the lines actually all the, all the way back to the mid 1800s where we have there, this is kind of, you know, we have where uh, not only we have the Reformation, which is good, but the Reformation actually started because it was a reaction to the what we saw in the Roman Catholic Church and the misuse of authority, the misuse of hierarchy. So there, were, there was a proper reaction to that. But at the same time, they were also reacting and they were not reacting the right way. They threw God out as well as the church. So that's where we get things like the French Revolution and, and things all during that time where they were throwing not only church out, but also all forms of God. So they were becoming sort of the... We have this modernist period where they're like, there's no God. And it was all about science and reason. But then they realized, oh, my goodness, like we can't just be all about facts and reason and science. And then we got to this point of we all have emotions. And so we get this romantic period. And from that blossomed a lot of beautiful art. And I mean, I, I'm a... I play the piano. I'm Chinese. So I love classical music. And especially during that romantic period, some of that stuff, uh, the art, um, the music, you just hear it and it, it brings up those emotions that you just weep sometimes at the power of emotions. Not a bad thing. Here's where the bad part came. It became a philosophy, a worldview where, almost, where essentially truth and reality is determined by my emotions and my thoughts. So we need to kind of recognize, you know, that the you know the the power of of emotions etc um so we need to you know have this uh you know we need to recognize the goodness of the emotions that god gave us but emotions do not determine truth so when all this came together with the, during the romantic period we then have these philosophies that came up i mean romanticism is essentially it is a worldview that's mainly grounded in the arts but it gave this this sense that the emotions is the only thing that matters. Well, from that comes thinkers like Freud. Freud is the one that actually popularized this concept that your sexual desires, I mean, if you read anything from Freud, yes, he was a psychologist, but everything was infused with sex. He, he was so consumed with sex and, and it's like, well, yes, that's the world. But what he kind of popularized was this concept that your sexual desires was not just a part of your experience, but it's part of your essence. Hmm. This is where we move the realm of sexuality from an existential realm to an ontological realm. And that's where we are today. So that actually started in the mid-1800s. And now we are actually seeing the trajectory of that. And really, we're just 
reaping the rotten fruit from that rotten tree that started way back then. Um, and so from these philosophies, we get a lot of other things. You know, we've got not only existentialism, which is basically the only thing that matters is, you know, my experience. That's mm -hmm. totally today. Nihilism, where like nothing really matters. And so, you know, it's it's just basically, you know, you have to create my own purpose mm -hmm. and meaning. Um, and that's exactly what we see today. I got to create my own identity. I got to create my own purpose. You and I know this. The Bible tells us God is, we don't have to create our meaning. We don't have to create our purpose. God is the one that gives us meaning. He's the one that gives us purpose. And so I talk about that, you know, about lesson three, we're creating God's mm -hmm. image and that's wonderful. So that's given to us. Yes. And so I, I love, I love that. And it's so important. And sometimes people like, well, their eyes can glaze over and all these isms and, and like ontology, ontology just means reality, right? So yes. what, what my, from, from experience to what is real? And yes. right now, the realest thing people feel about themselves is their sexuality and gender. Yeah. And they're like, and and to disagree with that in any form or fashion, whether it's the Bible, mom or dad, institutions, school, society is deemed as oppressive and therefore not allowing them to be authentic to their right. self as they o do oppressive. It. And now they're saying harmful, you know, yes. it, it's now harming me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I will kill myself. Uh, mm -hmm. If you don't affirm me. So that's, that's how far, you know, it used to be people, you know, you say, you're oppressing me, or you're, you know, you, you, you're, you hate me, it's gone way beyond that now where it is, you are actually harming me. And now we have, you know, schools that are supporting this idea, you know, you don't affirm your kid, your kid will kill themselves, you're all these things. Um, you know, counselors that will say, oh, would you rather a dead daughter or a live son? And, and mm. think about this, Jonathan, the only people that would make a statement to that to a parent is someone who's kidnapping your child and holding them ransom. Wow. Would you rather a dead daughter or a live son? Mm. That is criminal. Like, I just don't know how else to put that. And if, yeah. if you're a parent and you have a counselor telling them that, just repeat what I said. Are, just say, are you saying that what I like a live son or a dead daughter? Just remind them, you know, those words only come someone who's ransoming my child and kidnapping them. That's illegal and criminal and you're a criminal. That's what I would say <laughs> because yeah, I, I, that's exactly what's happening. And parents, we need to be bold. Do not bow down to Satan because that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, you know, and I appreciate the candor and the clarity with which you said that because I mean, I mean, Jesus had very harsh words for people who would cause little ones to stumble. He said it's yes. better for a millstone to be thrown around their neck and then be thrown in the sea than yes. to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And we have a culture right now and people with PhD behind their name and counselor behind their name and all these hormone treatments and surgeries and all these things promising relief and hope and goodness and life, and it's a lie. That's and right. we have to be able to say that. And yes. so if moms and dads, grandparents, if you're listening to this, I guess one of the first things is know that you, number one, you're not alone in this, but number two, you Amen. do not have to go along with that. And it's just not the truth. Yes. We live in a sinful, broken world in which there's, I mean, I mean, there's so much around this topic, but a lot of times anxiety and depression are really what's presenting. And then people label that as yes. gender dysphoria. And then you have, mm -hmm. we're well, going to treat this gender thing, but you're really lonely or you're, worried or you're fearful. I mean, there's so much. Yeah. So 
I appreciate that because moms and dads need to know that they're not alone in this because just hearing those words as a mom or dad, you love your kids, right? You're, of course, I want an alive child. Like, like, what do I need to do? Um, and so, so that's why it's so important for us to, 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 to rightly think about this from God's perspective. You know, there's so many helpful things in this study, the Holy Sexuality Project. Um, but one of them is you kind of break sexuality up into three kind of aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk about why you put it in those three categories and maybe just kind of explain why that's important to understand how those work together and kind of share that with 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 people listening and watching. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I like to think in categories. That's just the way I am. I, I think um, I actually kind of struggle with the more abstract concepts, and uh, philosophy is actually a stretch for me. And so, when I was younger, when my frontal lobe wasn't completely developed, I told I could not grasp all that because I just I think much more analytically in categories, black and white. Um, and now that I've gotten older, I've so much appreciated, but it's still a stretch for me to think of those ways. But even then, I, I like to kind of just put things in categories so I can think clearly. And so when it comes to sexuality, sexuality is a pretty nebulous, uh, abstract, subjective concept that I still like to kind of put it as clearly in categories as possible. So when it comes to sexuality, and this is not something that kind of I made, uh, came up, this is pretty uh, well known in in the secular world as well, that sexuality, three main concepts, Mm -hmm. attractions, actions, and identity. So in other words, attractions, these are the sexual and romantic attractions, desires, temptations that a person may have, but it's also actions. We then act on those desires. We have sex or we will try to develop a relationship with someone that we have romantic feelings for or sexual desires for. Um, Those are actions. And I believe an action is also acting on it. And I'm not like, if you're looking at pornography, that's also a sinful act. But then the third aspect are identities. Mm -hmm. And that identity is then I make all of this, the attractions and actions, who I am. Now, thinking through that, attractions, actions, and identity when we're talking about choice, and this is where I I do have a little caution of using that word choice, because when we say that, what are we talking about? Attractions, actions, or identity. Well, attractions, those aren't really chosen. Actions, we do choose those, right? I mean, you, you don't have a gun to your head, you know, like, I got to have sex with this person. No, I mean, we choose to act on that. And so there's some truth in the choice part that we do choose our actions, we don't necessarily we don't choose we don't choose our temptations for sure those desires we do choose to allow those temptations to turn into desires um and that's where i get in my in my book and also in my video series the difference between temptations and desires uh but then identity see this is also where it gets a little convoluted because we know we have a choice to either put our identity in christ that we're creating god's image or in something else but from an ex- a kind of experiential perspective, 25 years ago, like if you were to meet me and I would I would say I did not choose my identity. I did not choose who I am. So because mm-hmm. like, like you say, it feels so real and it feels so intense and so significant, sexuality that is, that it feels like this is who I am. But I, we know that that's not the case. So, um, so those are the three aspects, the attractions, actions, and identity. And I think it was good to lay that out with mm-hmm. uh, the kids in the video series, because then I kind of break it down to kind of each lesson. 
I attractions action identity. I begin with identity, but then I address the attractions part and I break that down in a lesson between the difference between de desires and temptations. Mm -hmm. And then the actions, how now shall we live? And that's where I introduced this concept of holy sexuality, chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. Yeah, and I want to unpack that in just a second, but just in there, maybe the Cliff Notes version or Spark Notes now, right, for this generation um, <laughs> would be, let's say, the temptations and desires. Can you just kind of frame why that distinction matters and kind of, kind of help people understand why that's important? Yeah, and, and, and the reason is because here's this all, the whole discussion today. Are same-sex attractions sinful or not? There's all these discussions. Because if it's not, then I don't need to repent of same-sex attractions. I just need to repent of the actions. And I'll be honest, Jonathan, I used to actually, long before when I was ever in, a, and I had, before I had any Bible training or anything like that, I just assumed, oh, the attractions are not sinful. I just need to resist those. And they're not sinful. Just don't act on it. Um, that was because... I didn't define the terms. Hmm. That's because I was using a an unbiblical term and I wasn't using the biblical term. Now, okay. doesn't mean that we always have to use biblical terminology because sometimes there are words that aren't in the Bible. Trinity is not found in the Bible. The concept is. But if there is a word and we don't find in the Bible, the concept is, but there is actually other words for it, I would rather use those words than keep using this word attraction. The word attraction is not found in the Bible. Uh, but the words desire and temptation are. Um, and then kind of getting back to, is it is sin just the act and not the temptation and desire or even the, the broader concept of attraction? Because I think attraction includes both temptation and desire. Is it just don't act? I used to think that. that I used to think that. Until I read the word of God, Sermon mm -hmm. on the Mount, Matthew 5, where Jesus says, if a man looks lustfully at a woman, He's fine as long as he doesn't act on it. Of course not. You know, we know that's not. It's if a man looks lustfully at a woman, he's already committed adultery. So it is not at all just don't act. It's the desire as well that's sinful. So this is where we get into this distinction uh, between that the Bible makes between temptation and desire. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It quickly leads to sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. And then we have the concept of desire. So even in that verse, Matthew 5, if a man looks lustfully at a woman, that word lustfully um, with lust in, in the Greek is actually the word with desire. The same word that we translate in English as lust is the same word that we translate into desire. So the Bible's understanding of the New Testament is not that desire turns into lust. Wrongly ordered desire is lust. That's how we translate that. Uh, so that's really helpful for us to know. Wrongly ordered desire is sin, and we determine that by its end, whether that end, that the, the, the object and the purpose is the act, is sinful, then that desire is sinful as well. So that's kind of the difference between temptation yeah. and desire. No, that's really helpful. And I would encourage people to read through the Sermon on the Mount if that's a new idea. And maybe you've just only had the behaviors category because behaviors are chosen, but attractions aren't. And there's a sense in which we find ourselves with attractions and desires. But all of those are ordered and aimed at something. I think of it like a bow and arrow and a target. Like it's exactly. there is a there is a there's a telos. There's something that that desire is aimed at. And so um, and the good news is, is we have a savior who can forgive us and free us and help us overcome those things. You know, I'm all, I'm encouraged by, you know, first Thessalonians four, 
is so clear on this, but this is God's will for you, your sanctification and that you flee from sexual immorality. Right. Amen. And so it's, so we all are called to pursue that. Amen. And I end every lesson with that. Cause I think that's so key. I wanted kids to catch that, you know, this is a will of God, your sanctification. So that's um, I, I, I didn't want kids to miss that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's super helpful. Um, and just, just as, as parents who are listening to this, you would not just for clarity, you would not encourage or counsel anyone to use a modifier like mm. gay Christian to describe struggling with sinful attractions. You would exactly. like just give give a quick summary on that for a for a mom or dad wondering about how to talk about that or if they see those terms. Yes, yes. I mean, there's this uh, kind of group of people that would say, I, I, I am a, or this person, someone would say, you know, that they are a gay Christian, he is a gay Christian, or she is a lesbian Christian. But within that group are two, um, they split off where one says gay marriage is okay. And we're like, well, that's obviously sinful. That's rejection. So that form is bad. But now there's something called a side B gay Christian it's the same thing. It's condoning sin. And you're like, oh, but they're not acting on it. But like I just said, repentance of sin is not just the act. See, when we think that we just repent of the act, we actually don't fully understand the gospel. The gospel transformation, sanctification, repentance is not just repentance of my actions. The gospel is not about behavior management. It's about complete transformation, sanctification. Now, when I say complete, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the whole person. I'm not talking about then you never uh, sin anymore or attempted. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about complete as in not just actions, complete as in your mind is going to be Im impacted by sanctification or repentance and transformation. My heart is, my feelings, thoughts, that should, should be different than what it was before. It will not be perfect because we're not perfect until glory, but we need to repent of our actions and those sinful desires as well. No, that's great clarity. And I think that's really helpful. So again, our conversation right now is with Dr. Christopher Yuan, and he is author of the book, obviously, Holy Sexuality. He has a brand new study called the Holy Sexuality Project, which we're talking about today. I encourage you guys to check that out. We've already talked about how identity is a foundational piece where you have to start. That's really the question of this generation. And then you also have to kind of get into that sexuality has three different aspects, right? You've got attractions, you've got actions, and you've got identity. Um, so now I want you to kind of, and you've, now you've, you've framed a little bit of the difference between desires and temptations. So mm -hmm. what is the yes? What is the, what is biblical sexuality that God created good? It's a good idea because it's God's idea, right? So what, what is biblical sexuality? Yeah, biblical sexuality, and and here's the thing: we pigeonhole pigeonhole ourselves into the wrong framework, where we think, okay, sexuality, it's just heterosexuality, bisexuality, homosexuality. Homosexuality is wrong, so I guess our only option is heterosexuality. We've we've stuck ourselves in the wrong framework. This framework is purely Freudian and secular and humanist, where it divides up humanity according to our sexual desires. God doesn't want us to divide ourselves in that way. Instead, we need to use a biblical category, and this is where I come up with this concept or this this term heterosexuality the concept is not new just comes out of the pages of scripture scripture only lays out two options god only lays out two two paths the first path is when you are single and i'm not talking about 
this so-called lifelong chosen vocation of celibacy. That's not a biblical concept. So when people kind of, you know, talk about you know, these so-called gay celibate Christians, not only is the gay wrong, because that's not who you are and shouldn't identify by your dead self, because I think that that's not Christian. That, that's a totally different gospel to think that I need to resuscitate and pull back and, and you know, bring my dead man. Gay is my dead man. That's not who I am. I am a follower of Christ. But it's the uh, gay celibate Christian is they they can never get married, which who are we to limit God? I I am single now. I don't I never say that I'm celibate because that's kind of the Roman Catholic view of like, you know, being, you know, single for life. And that's a vocation. Single is, is just a condition, not a vocation. Um, but I am single now. I'm open to getting married and I'm single now. So how shall I live while when I am single? Um, and if your kids are single, they're teenagers, how are they going to live? Heterosexuality says nothing about how singles ought to live. Should I just, am I called to just be sexually attracted to women? If there's any woman in my, you know, my life that right now that I have sexual desires for, I need to actually repent of those. Now, if the Lord brings someone into my life and that develops, you know, those romantic desires can be okay. Why is that? Like Jonathan was saying, I talked about this in the book and the video series, the telos, like that, that arrow, that arrow can land eventually be something that God would bless a marriage between a man and a woman. And so those desires could be just the romantic, but even that I need to kind of keep in check. One of my favorite passages out of the songs of Solomon is don't awaken love until it's time. Hmm. So that's, that's, purity in the midst of passion and we need to it's that tension that we need to have so but as a single man i need to live a chaste life that's god's yes it is abstinence but that's kind of more no i that's why i use the word chastity in singleness because chastity is is about holiness about sanctification purity but then on the other side is if if a person is no longer single and they are now married, then they need to be faithful to the spouse of the opposite sex. So biblical sexuality is just quite simply two paths, chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And that is good news for all. Yeah. And that's so good because that's, that's the clarity, right? Because yes. that was Jesus's view. That's Matthew 19. It's very clear what he believed the created design and function of marriage is one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. I mean, that's, that's the biblical pattern. Um, for where that is to occur. And then everyone else, um, you know, and w- whenever I get a chance to to talk on this or talk to youth pastors or people, and some people are like, well, should we talk about issues of sexuality? I'm like, yes, just offend everyone and call everyone to the standard of holiness, right? That's what we got to do. So <laughs> if it's right. pornography, if it's same-sex attraction, if it's, yes. you know, sleeping with your girlfriend, boyfriend, like then all of us need to turn from that and pursue Jesus. So if we're a follower Amen. of Jesus, we pursue him. Yes. In discipleship, if you don't know Jesus, then you need Jesus. You need the gospel to be forgiven, <laughs> yes. and then we go from there. So, so that's I just think clarity is so important right now, and so I'm I'm, I'm grateful that your 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 uh, resources are are getting out there and helping people think through these categories so well. Amen. Um, so so a couple thoughts then, you know, obviously there's so many there. I love there uh, there's so many great resources and in, in design and parent guides and. And all that stuff. I want to talk about talk about a couple of the features of how, basically, what all you've put in this study, and then we'll talk about a few more important questions that I, that that are there. But just talk a little bit about how you'd love a mom, a dad, a parent, a family to use these resources, and what all you baked into the Holy Sexuality Project. 
Yeah, so essentially this the video series, it's 12 lessons. So I broke it up. At first I thought I could do 10 and I couldn't squeeze it all in. So it's 12 lessons, but each lesson has three videos. So it's a total of 36 videos. Um, it's 270 minutes of content. And Jonathan, as you mentioned, uh, there's animation with it. We're super excited. You know, teens and preteens have a pretty high th um, threshold for the quality of video. So if you kind of give a cheesy, low quality videos and illustrations that use kind of stock animation, they'll obviously cut, catch that in a minute and just turn off. So everything is customized. As a matter of fact, we have um, professional illustrators and animators that have produced great content for ministries like the Bible Project, if you're familiar with that. So that high quality is what we used for our videos, which I don't know of any other uh, video series that have, have ever done anything like this before. A lot of times people use these short explainer videos with some high quality. That's three to five minutes. We've done 270 minutes of content. So this is enormous. Uh, but here's the key. Like you mentioned, Jonathan, a, a very important resource is the parent guide. And we specifically called it that. We didn't call it teacher guide. We didn't call it classroom guide because we wanted to bring the talk about, about sexuality back from the classroom into the living room. So that's why we call it a parent guide. And it could also be a grandparent guide uh, because we want the grandparents to be back involved. Deuteronomy 6, it says, teach them diligently to your sons and your sons' sons. That means God has ordained parents to disciple their kids, not just have fun. If you're all you're doing is having fun with your grandchildren, we may be patting them on their back as they're drowning in a tsunami of lies. So let's be proactive in doing this. But that parent guide, actually the purpose of that it's not just to watch the video. So if any of you guys are excited about this, doing this, it is not simply watching the videos. That's almost half of it. You watch a video. Uh, well, actually, you start off with uh, the parent guide. You read like a either a few sentences or a paragraph to your teen to kind of kick it off, uh, to sort of get the pump primed. And then there's a question, which kind of sort of sees where the baseline is. And then sometimes you write down their answers and then you watch the first teaching video of about 10 minutes and you're out. And then you have four to six kind of questions, discussion questions after that. And then you have another teaching video of 10 minutes, another four to six questions after that. And you watch a kind of three minute wrap up video that then after that, you have a couple more wrap up questions. And that is one lesson, 45 to 60 minutes of deep, rich conversations with your kids. That's engaging. And actually, I mean, it's going to be fun because there's some yeah. funny things in there. There's some things uh, that will really encourage some great, great discussions that finally are going to be happening at home. Or maybe you're starting them. So this will be good. This will be continuing these conversations. But it's guided through scripture. I think sometimes we can just fill these type of video series or some other resources, you know, that even say they're Christian, they're just full of stories of different people and interviews of different people. I think what we need more of is not to hear more from people. We needed to hear more from God. And I was very intentional about putting the word of God in there and these biblical concepts so our kids can have a foundation, not bound, not kind of grounded in stories of other human beings, but God's story and his truth. Yeah, love that. And it's just so helpful. Again, the Holy Sexuality Project, holysexuality.com is the website. But and we'll talk, we'll have links to all that later on in, in the show notes and all that kind of stuff. But you know, Christopher, as as we look around culture right now, as we look around the church, as we look around kind of where things are moving, you know, sometimes people say, Well, look, you know, sexuality is one of those things we can just agree to disagree on. Mm -hmm. 
maybe that's just, you know, it's not as big a deal as you guys are making it. There's lots of sins out there. What, and so not only it used to be, there was pressure from outside of the church to change the biblical teaching, but now there's just a lot of confusion within the church. Um, I think sometimes well-intentioned, but like speak to that for a little bit. Like, oh yeah, for sure. Is this something that we can agree to disagree on? How would you? So important, Jonathan. Yeah. I, I think when we kind of had this agree to disagree matter, I think it came out of kind of some good intentions from, from, from the decades past when we have different denominations where we would have things that we agree to disagree on, whether it's baptism or whether it's, you know, kind of all the, you know, th- there's various different ways of approaching things, eschatology yeah, spiritual or gifts. spiritual gifts, stuff like that, um, where we can agree to disagree. This is a non-essential doctrine, you know, you know, we have our essentials, which is the Trinity, Jesus is Lord, et cetera. You know, these things that were really infirmed and, and grounded and cemented into the early church. Those are essential doctrines. And then we have these non-essential doctrines. Here, Here's the problem. We have oversimplified theology. Hmm. They're not just two categories. We have oversimplified God's truth. Here's why. When I read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and, I, and I'm specifically looking at the doctrine of sin and sinful behavior specifically, there are two sins that stand out above every, I mean, by far two sins. And they are idolatry, and sexual immorality. That's it. So those are not, those two things, idolatry and sexual immorality, those those aren't like, you know, essential doctrines, but they are so tied to essential doctrines. They are definitely not non-essential, definitely not non-essential but they are so tied to core doctrines that when you begin begin deconstructing these concept of idolatry or sexual immorality, when you're pulling on these threads and deconstructing, they are tied directly to these essential core doctrines. So you actually can't deconstruct the 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 immorality of idolatry and why that is so wrong and the immorality of sexual of sexual immorality without then deconstructing these essential core doctrines why both of them are tied to creation tied to genesis tied to being created the image of god tied to the creator and the creature the creature does not worship the creator anymore but was worshiping the creature that's idolatry and then sexuality tied to marriage, which Jesus is the one that tied marriage, Genesis 2, to what? Genesis 1, which, what is this Genesis 127? When, when he says, creator made them male and female, what is that verse? See, that a lot of times we totally miss this. And I mentioned this in the video series. That verse that Jesus, in, in, in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, when he was defending divorce, or I'm sorry, not defending divorce, defending marriage, but refuting why divorce is wrong, he mm-hmm. went, he did not talk about the law. He went right back to Genesis. The creator made the man male and female. That's from Genesis 127. And the two shall become one flesh. That's from Genesis 2.24. And he links Genesis 2.24 with Genesis 127. In other words, he links marriage to the image of God verse. Mm-hmm. So you cannot then deconstruct sexual immorality, which is linked to marriage, from the image of God passage. There is a very clear correlation that I didn't make, that Jonathan, you didn't make, 
Jesus made, God made himself that we find enshrined in his word. So that's why this 100% is not an agree to disagree matter. And I'm going to say something really bold. People who now are making those assertions aren't they 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 are they are distorting the gospel and i'm going to say they're not christian because they don't understand true christian doctrine because this is tied to these essential core truths yeah yeah and and i so well said i mean you look at acts 15 and the jerusalem council sexual immorality is clearly there you look at the letters to the churches in the book of revelation early on it's like those yep. who are leading people astray with sexual immorality and these teachings like they're all the way through there. First Corinthians six, where it talks about, you know, you know, such were some of you, but these That's will right. not inherit. And there's a whole, so it's all wrapped up in all those things. And so yes. I think it's so important to just be clear and say what God has said. And we don't need to be apologetic for that because his words are life and their truth Amen. And, and their hope for all of us. Um, so important. So, so let's, I mean, so there's a lot of people out there, I think in their in churches and, and maybe there's pastors or leaders and more and more. I mean, we've seen all the statistics. Um, we're doing more research on this, but you see Gallup, you see the CDC. I mean, like one in four LGBTQ teens and all all these numbers. So the reality that that churches are going to have to navigate these things um, increasingly um, is just that's part of the new world in which we're living. So give some words of encouragement and maybe counsel for like, OK, how do you navigate the, the messiness of all that from moms and dads trying to love their kids who, who maybe have sexual confusion or the, maybe they're um, trans ideation or like whatever they're like. And then also church leaders, like how do they create a place for them to hear the gospel and to love them well, truly and biblically? So speak to some of those kind of things, because I think a lot of people are just wrestling with like, what do we do with this? Yes, I would say overall, we need to. We need to have an approach that is gospel-centered, that lifts up the supremacy of Christ. Um, I, I don't want to have a, a video series that's focused on humans. I mean, I think there was a, a recent one that just came out uh, you know, this year by a, a, a person who says she's a Christian and and is, you know, doing something for you know, LG parents of LGBTQ plus, you know, kids. And you know what the course was called? Me course. Mm. I felt like at least there was honesty in what that course was about. It's about me. It's all about me. It's all actually, if I were to rename this course from the Holy Sexuality Project, it would be the Christ course. <laughs> hmm. I think that is so important. I know right now with all that's going on with sexuality and gender, it just feels like this is just one of those really unique, uh, you know, peculiar, strange issues that we need to kind of just address differently. We don't. This is about sinful humanity in need of a sinful, in, in need of an amazing savior of sinners. And so we need to recognize that Christ is the answer. Sin is a problem. Jesus Christ is the answer. And, you know, ultimately, uh, I, you know, th there's been talk lately about, you know, we don't draw lines, we draw circles. I don't know if some of you might know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I want to be very, very clear. I draw lines. That line is not what many people are thinking, though. This line is from humans to God. We are drawing people to Christ. There's only one direction that we go. If we're drawing these circles around each other, 
we're not going to save each other. I can't save you, Jonathan. You can't save me. I can't save any of your listeners. If I'm just talking about me or you, what we can do, I'm saying nothing. Our answer, pastors, our answer must always be Christocentric. Someone even asked me, um, and even other pastors. I've been in conversations with lots of different pastors, um, especially even ones, you know, the really well-known one that's all over the news about this. And I said, well, what do I do about this, this teenage kid that's struggling, you know, kind of pushing back, thinking that'll be like, oh, you need to embrace, embrace, you know, tell this kid to embrace their sexuality. I told them my answer is the same thing that I tell everyone. Follow Jesus. And what does that mean? Jesus tells us, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That is the same answer for everyone, whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you're a teenager, whether you're 99 years old, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That really is the solution. And we should not be ashamed of it. We should not think that's unfair because that actually should be our message to everyone. I mean, if we think that's unfair, that means we're not telling that to others. Therefore, we're telling them a different gospel. I tell people all of this all the time. Following Jesus should cost us everything. If it hasn't, you're following the wrong Jesus. So the answer for that trans or that kid that's believing they're trans or, and they might, they might be dealing with gender dysphoria, even though I think much of it is more the rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is nothing about gender dysphoria. They're just they just they want to be different or they want to associate with the group. But like if, the, if you have an adult who's been struggling with it for a long time, what's our message to, to him? Or what's our message to this young lady that is struggling with same such attractions? What's a message to a guy struggling with pornography or a husband that's struggling with lust and cheating on his wife or a woman struggling with whatever it is, gossiping or same message. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That should be the same for everyone, even me. My story, and, and, and you could go online and listen to it more. I, I used to identify as gay and now no longer do it all because that's a sin category. That's a different gospel. That's actually not how I best summarize it. I summarize my testimony like this. I once was blind and now I see. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once did not believe and now I believe in the son of God and his name is Jesus. That's my testimony. Amen. Praise God for that. You know, love that. Thank you for sharing that. You know, Romans one for, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. Right. Amen. And, uh, and we can all be set free and we were all blind until, until we see in Christ. And so I, I hope that encourages you if you're listening uh, to this and walking through hard things with your family or friends the power and the hope of the gospel is the answer, you know, and that's the, in some ways it's as simple and complicated as that, um, as we get to embody that and live it out and tell people and share. But, um, Christopher, I'm so glad that you've created this resource, the Holy Sexuality Project, um, and this, in in this 12 lesson guide for parents and families to walk through on, on how to disciple their teens in biblical, on biblical sexuality, which is absolutely vital. Um, you know, the Great Commission, you know, at Impact 360, we're passionate about making disciples who make disciples, and we go into the world teaching them to obey all that have commanded you. And that includes and is not limited to sexuality. There's every area of life has to be brought into submission to the Lordship of Jesus. 
and and therefore we go and and we do that. And so I appreciate um, appreciate so much your humility, but your also clarity and just God's story of transformation in your life, which encourages me and challenges me. So because um, the gospel is good news for everybody, and uh, and so I love that. Well, tell people more where they can find out more about. Um, this project and and how to how to get it and where to find more about your work. Yeah, so uh, my I have actually two two websites. Uh, the first one is just my full name, Christopher Yuan Y U A N dot com, and that's just my speaking ministry. You can find out more about where I'm speaking next, and also my books. Um, and and there's some videos of my testimony and some of my teaching. But then this video series is at holysexuality.com. And that's where you can go. You can kind of uh, create an account to view a free uh, a free lesson, which is lesson two on identity. And then you could just kind of just pay the $20, which is total steal for a two-year license uh, that donors have trying to just covered for. But yeah, it's just at holysexuality.com where you can get this all this information. That's awesome. And we'll have links to those things. And again, um, if you're listening um, here at Impact 360, we're unapologetically committed to God's word and the power of the gospel and equipping students in the next generation. And so we want to come alongside you as families, as grandparents, as uh, people in the church. And, And so if you have a student who would benefit from one of our summer experiences, Propeller Immersion or our nine month gap year, which is our fellows, or we um, or our residency program, which is two years, and after being involved in Path Through Sixty, they'll get a master's degree on the on the end of that. I mean, just so many different ways we want to come alongside you um, and have other resources. You can have some previous conversations that Christopher and I have had on this podcast, other videos, things like that. But impact360.org is a great place to check all of those things out. We want to come alongside you. I also want to let you know about an opportunity. I don't get to share about this as much, but it's vital. Um, Sometimes people go, well, what do I do? How can I give and make this more possible for students? And we have a legacy scholarship fund that 100% of everything that's given goes directly to make it possible for students to come to Impact360. And so if you go to impact360.org and put give, and you can find out how more just to contribute. And again, 100% of that goes to make it possible for students to be able to come to attend fellows and be able to get some of this training and, and things like that. So again, impact360.org. But Christopher, thank you so much for investing not only um, in our students when you come every year at Impact360, but just so faithfully uh, walking with Jesus and equipping so many people and creating this project. So thanks so much for joining us today on the Impact360 podcast. Well, thank you each time for allowing me to serve your students and be a part of these uh, interviews. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.